Hello and welcome back to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we are at the crux of starting a new franchise. I say new, it's kind of an old franchise, but it's new to us. Yeah, new, new to this podcast. I mean, yeah. we've, we've, we, we may have seen it before. Um, should we issue spoiler alerts now? I think if you haven't seen this, you've had, what, 23 and a half years to watch it. <laughs> it's so fair. it's fair game. It's Definitely fair game. Fair game. Um, we are doing the futuristically not so futuristic dated but futuristic Matrix trilogy. Oh god, I can't say trilogy now, can I? It's um, no. it's quadrilogy. Oh no, is... don't say that. That will oh. upset me. But it the, is the real, the, 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 that that is what HMV would like to call things <laughs> where there's four movies. The 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 official term is tetralogy. Is it really? Yeah, Have yeah, that's ta- the real. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, uh, you, you'll have seen like, um, yeah. uh, you, you get milk in Tetra Packs. It's because it's got four sides. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, so Tetralogy. But yeah, uh, somewhat mistakenly, um, the, uh, the good folks at HMV used to refer to the Alien Quadrilogy and it always used to annoy me. Uh, but now we get to do that with The Matrix. So yeah, we'll go with The Matrix <laughs> Quadrilogy. I like the fact that if you learn nothing on this podcast, you learn what the correct name for a receptacle of milk is. <laughs> uh, you, just, you just learn all the really little things that annoy James. I love that your English... Existence. This is the first time your English degree has come in handy on this podcast, I think, <laughs> where you've schooled me on what... What is it again? Tre- 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 uh, tetralogy. Oh, my gosh, if- Tetralogy. I mean, if if I can't help you, I can't help anybody. It's really hard to say when you've like <laughs> when you're not prepared for it. Anyway, um, we are starting the Matrix, and we're going to start today with the 1999 film The Matrix. Um, which is odd because when you look at the credits for this film, obviously we'll talk about this later. It's um, directed by the Wachowski brothers, but then it's been uh, redacted because both the Wachowski uh, former brothers. Have uh, tra- are transgender, so they are now Lana and Lily. So they yes. are now the Wachowski sisters, but then they never really refer to them as the Wachowski sisters anywhere. They just literally call them the Wachowskis now. So it's, yeah. it's just interesting how you know we do that. And and again, that in my head speaks to the greater bit about this whole movie, this whole franchise, is that this film and this franchise are so far ahead of their time that even the directors are transgender, which makes them so much more ahead of their time. That, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, there's I, so I many that. things that are ahead of their time in this. I, I, I think the, the, the best thing and the thing that makes this film not of current year kind of media is um, it doesn't even matter. Mm. Like, it's not a big deal. And it, it's, a, it's a work of art made by two humans. Yeah, that's and a good thing. Obviously, maybe multiple humans, obviously, in the eventual thing. But I think this film was so carefully crafted. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, when, when a band comes out with their first album yeah. and it's mint, wall-to-wall bangers. But the second album's really tricky because they don't yeah. have as much time. They had their entire lives up until the point of that first album to make album one. So it's going to be wicked. And that's what this film feels like. It's like all the things... Because it's not their first film, but it's their first really big film. Yeah. And it feels like all the things they ever wanted to do, and we, we can go into it in more detail later, obviously, but the whole thing was storyboarded like it was a, 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 an anime short mm-hmm. uh, initially. So 
and you read the script and the script is so detailed. They knew exactly what they wanted. It wasn't just yeah. protagonist runs away from antagonist A and then does a jump. It's in such detail. So yeah, it was. it's really carefully crafted and it almost, it doesn't matter who they were outside of the film. It's who they were while they were making the film that's important, which I love. I yeah, love I, I am so impressed by how well this movie is held up. Um, and I always kind of knew it was great. Um, when you watch it for something like a podcast, you watch it, and, and you'll probably agree with me for this, you, you watch it with a certain difference, a certain different level of intrigue, and, and you scrutinise it a little bit more. Um, and I just think that like it's a striking example of what cinema was capable of in the 90s. But also it kind of makes me sad because it makes me think back to a time where studios like Warner Brothers, huge studios, were making big risks with movies and spending money on them with people they didn't really know that well who weren't really proven in, in their field. Like you said, they'd made some movies, but not big movies. Um, and to to do a film like this, that they're not only lasts as long as it has done and has had as many spin-offs and sequels and and inspired so much stuff but it it kind of redefined the genre a little bit didn't it like it redefines the action genre completely in the in the same way that people said die hard did in the 80s um there are concepts in this that are still in films that are out now that are the oh, same yeah. concepts that are just used and recycled because they know it's it's good yeah, there is definitely, uh, like, there are sort of era-defining films, and this is one of them, that you, you can you can point to a film that was made before The Matrix and know it was before Matrix, yeah. and then there's before Matrix and after Matrix films, and the after Matrix films all kind of have Matrix DNA through them. It's, 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 it's insane what an impact it had, because there were there were people our age who are now making films who saw this when yeah. we did yeah and this this was their star wars you know this was the the film they went to see repeatedly in the cinema um i think we've had a conversation as well uh, outside the podcast i think this was the film that certainly in my household introduced us to dvd yeah. and and th- this was one of the the the, the real sort of uh, big sellers during the earliest days of DVD for like mainstream people. Uh, so I remember getting yeah. a DVD player, and this was the film that sold us on DVD. And I think later down the line, like we were sold on Blu-ray through like The Dark Knight, for example. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, I think they literally, if you go on YouTube, I think they did an advertising campaign, Warner. They they did it for for DVD, and I think Matrix is the most featured movie in that trailer. For do you know it's that thing of going yeah. experience more, experience louder, crisper images, and it's just Matrix. <laughs> and yeah. I remember watching that on a VHS tape around this time. It may well have been a VHS of the Matrix. It's it's mad, isn't it? That mm. that we've 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 gone through all these different technologies to d- deliver films, and and we. We do have memories of when we, what we first watched some of these great films on, and yeah. like you said, going back and watching it again to to do a review on a podcast, I noticed things like uh, this was probably the first time I've watched The Matrix in four K. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And same. Yeah. Yeah. I think I noticed this time, and I never noticed before that in The Matrix they there's like a film grain, and out of The Matrix there isn't. Yes, and I didn't notice that when I was watching it on DVD because the quality wasn't there. Like the, the 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 resolution wasn't good enough for me to see that it was a big difference. 
Yeah, there's going to be a lot of things we'll talk about this as we go through the trilogy. Um, yeah. But concept. This is the thing where we talk about concept. Every frame of this movie is a work of art, like you said earlier. It, it is pu- beautifully captured. Um, I listened to another podcast, and they did a Matrix thing years ago, and they said um, this one of those films where every choice is made and it's made well, like the bridge and the rain coming off the bridge when he's at the bridge. Um, the kind of bedroom Neo's in, the kind of computer he has, the kind of bed linen he has, the kind of uh, office space that he works in and how his office is laid out, the kind of car they drive in. Everything is meticulously thought of. and yeah. There's nothing in it where they go, oh, just do that. That'll be fine. It'll look fine. We'll just grain it up and make it look. There's that thing where you go, there's no laziness in this. And no. Even if you don't think the story's wonderful or you think it's a ha- a rip-off, like, like we know that there are a lot of things in this movie that are an amalgamation, like you say, of manga, of anime. There are lots of inspiration from old, um, different science fiction movies, really old science fiction movies like Metropolis. Uh, there's a science fiction movie called Dark City that was made, I think, a year before Matrix. And not only is there a massive amount of shot choices and, and storyline concept that are similar to Dark City... Um, but it also actually used some of the sets from Dark City because Warner's let them use the same sets. So yeah. th- there's so many things in this where you go, well, yeah, they just copied that, and oh, well, it just looks like that. Oh, well, that I've seen that. That was in a film thing. Oh, that was in a that was in a comic book. You're like, does it matter though? <laughs> like, no. Fundamentally, yes, all those things might have been done before, but they were all done so well in this movie um, that it works and it, and it excites. And and this was the kind of thing where you go. Um, our Star Wars was a ripoff of Dune. We've talked about this before, uh, yeah. and you go, yeah, but have you read Dune? Like, go and read Dune and read all of them. They take a long time, James, and they yes. are not the most action packed. They are heavy, hard hitting concept books which are now being made into movies. And then you go, well, Star Wars is a ripoff. You go, well, yeah, but Star Wars did something like it, but very different, and it took a different approach. And yeah. that to me is like creative license in it like that's surely that's the freedom to create what you want out of the ingredients you've got when i'm in the kitchen i might have the same ingredients as gordon ramsay but i'm not cooking the same meal he's cooking do you know what i mean <laughs> like that, these are the things i think of when you think of these concepts i think when i'm in the kitchen i'm more like that uh, chef that gordon ramsay put the two bits of bread either side of her head and asked her what she was and she said she was an idiot sandwich <laughs> i think that's that's me. Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I've read so many, doing, doing research with so many uh, critiques yeah. that do, do point out that, you know, this does borrow from certain things. And uh, all movies do. Nothing's yeah. completely unique and original. But like you say, I think the sum of the parts of this film yeah. and the fact that it was so immediately accessible, they, they took great care to make sure you were drip-fed information throughout the film to make yeah. every every plot point make sense. There's nothing where... Well, we've reviewed films on this uh, podcast in the past where I've been screaming down the microphone at you that nothing makes sense and I want to go home. Mm. That doesn't happen with The Matrix. In fact, it rewards repeated viewing. There's yeah, stuff yeah. that I saw this time around that because I'd seen it a bunch of times before and there's still stuff I noticed this time that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. And I thought that was that was so clever. I um there there was one that I hadn't noticed but I heard on an, again on another podcast um uh, I think it was on Caravan of Garbage. Um the 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 guys reviewing the show there, uh, reviewing the film there. Um they 
spoke about the scene with the woman in the red dress. Mm-hmm. And I, and obviously that scene's quite famous because, you know, the, the big thing is, oh, did you notice the woman in the red dress? But what they also put in there is nearly every other character in that scene is a twin. Yes, I've seen this. And this and is w- like, weird when you go back and watch it and you can point them out and you can see them. Yeah. Uh, it's because essentially it, the guy making the uh, program is that little kid, isn't it? From yeah, the uh, from the real world, and he's just fucking copy and pasted and the uh, the NPCs back into the background. Yeah, and I, the, the guys at Caravan yeah. of Garbage brought this up, and I was like, "That is, yeah. that is brilliant." I had to go back and rewatch just yeah. that scene just to double check them, but they're completely right. It's there, and I hadn't even noticed you know twenty odd years of this film being in existence. Yeah, and I hadn't noticed that bit. And I was like, "That." That is a mark of a great film when you can go back and still find something new 20 years later. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I really, I, I've enjoyed this week's sort of research doing that. It's, it's, been, it's been fun. Yeah, I've got lots. I mean, let me just break it down before we go much further. Um, the Rotten Tomato score for Matrix is 83%. It's got eight out of, uh, 8.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, it's 4.6 out of 5 on Amazon's films, which I, I, I think it's strong. Yeah, I think it's one of those films, like you say, that you you get more the more you watch, and the work in it. I don't. It's weird. So we talk about concepts, and I wanted to address this at the beginning of the podcast. Um, there's people that got it, and people that don't get it. Now, I don't know whether that's a generational thing. You'd have to ask your mum and dad. I've certainly asked my mum. <laughs> she remembers the Matrix differently to how we remember the Matrix, and she says. I enjoyed it up until the bit where Keanu Reeves turned into an alien, then I couldn't be bothered. (laughs) I was like, what did you think was happening? And she said, well, he was in that pod, then he was an alien, he had no hair, and then he was on a table, and I just didn't understand him on that spaceship. And I was like, what is going on? And she said, then she turned it off. And I was like, that's so interesting that she, that's what she extrapolated from, from those scenes. And I was thinking, yeah. Is it difficult to understand? And then, and then I remember thinking about it when I was young and asking my brother, who is um, my brother. My brother is a software developer, uh, and he always was a keen developer when he was when he was young. And and he used to hack into things and do illegal things he shouldn't have been doing and getting told off by my mum and dad and told off by school. Um, but my <laughs> brother said, it, you know, it's just robots. Robots take over the world. They enslave humanity, and the only way to keep humans occupied is they plug them all into a computer system that's like a simulator, like a video game that they just live in, and they are blissfully unaware that they live in the computer world. Um, but some humans have got out of the computer world, and they're trying to get other humans unplugged and take them out into the real world. And you're like, okay. And I think that's it. That's a, that concept's enough, isn't it? Oh um, yeah, I, you don't need. You, it is sort of where in like Terminator, yeah, the robots kill us all and yeah. continually hunt us down. Yeah, in this one, they're just a bit more resourceful, and they've figured out actually we're good batteries, so we'll keep them. Mm. And and that's it basically. So it is sort of Terminator, but you know, with more planning. Yeah, it's. Um, I like the concept a lot. I like the fact that. There's a thing with films nowadays where they they I, they draw the concept out too long and then the the payoff is not as good. Um, there's a film on Netflix at the moment called Leave the World Behind. I'm not going to spoil that, but you can go and watch it. I think it's like trending number one in Netflix at the moment. Uh, it's got Julia Roberts and um, and Mashallah Ali and uh, Ethan Hawke in it. Uh, and I watched it. I enjoyed it. It's two and a half hours long. It, and it has a concept, right? There is a very big concept that's happening throughout this film, 
the information is very, very restrictedly given to the audience throughout the two hour and a bit period of time. Yeah. The payoff for me isn't that great, personally, because I'm not as shocked. The payoff in this, in my the payoff in this kind of comes what, about an hour in, if that, 45 minutes in. So yeah. you have this bleeding exposition of there's a man, he's stuck in a boring job, he has a one bedroom flat. He spends all night on his computer and he's getting messages sent to his computer by anonymous people. Um, there are also men in suits who are hunting people down in back alleys. And these people seem to be magically getting away through phone boxes. So there's like all these things put in where you go, right, something really strange going on in this film. I don't know who these FBI people are. I don't know who these people are. Who are the people in Pletha? <laughs> there's lots of Pletha in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, once you kind of learn the concept and that exposition's given to you by Lawrence Fishburne's Morpheus, who's fantastic in this film, um, you kind of, the concept hits you really quickly, doesn't it? And then when Neo's unplugged, it's even more like, oh my god, none of that stuff was real, and th- this is all like an existential crisis that we're having with Neo, alongside Neo. So that works really well, and then you explore the concept further by how they jack back into the Matrix to go back into it later. Um, yeah. And it, I don't know, I just love that. I like that the con- they don't say they don't bleed it out for two and a half hours and at the end and go, oh, and they're all in a robot world. And you go, oh, great. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not the ending. The ending is is different. The point of the movie is that Neo, they figure out that Neo is the one and Neo is in a computer-generated dream world. That's the whole story, but the payoff comes pretty early in the film when you find out what the hell's going on. So I like that better in these kind of movies. Then where they, oh God, when they go on forever and ever about a concept. And at the end, you know, like The Village, we've talked about that. Yeah. There's concept films like The Village, The Sixth Sense, uh, Shyamalan films come up a lot, where they just, they just go on and on and on and on and on. And then you're like, oh, and it was all a dream. Yeah, and you just end up feeling like, oh, what did I waste my time with this film for? Yeah. You know, up until that, that yeah. reveal, it was wicked. And then you think, oh, actually, it's not that good. Whereas with this film, you, you they they let you in yeah. on on the secret quite early on, like you say, and and after that, it's it stops being about the um, ironically about the Matrix. It stops being about that. It's about the characters. Yeah, and I think the characters are so strong here that they don't need to rely on any sort of gimmicks. I think that's why a lot of the the special effects were groundbreaking for the time and a lot of them still hold up, but they hold up because it's actually uh, for a lot of it practical and it's the actual actors there rather than stunt people. And I think that's what helps it. What helps you attach to these characters more because you, you believe that it's Keanu doing that back backflip thing, you know, in in bullet time, you believe it's him because it is him. And you know you you believe that Carrie Moss is doing all these things because she is doing all these things. Yeah. That it's it's just wicked to to see that. It's the same sort of thrill that people get nowadays from knowing that it is Tom Cruise breaking his leg. He really did that. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, um, yeah. It makes him more uh, special in a way. Yeah, because the work's yeah, there, the payoffs there. Uh, yeah. Talking about cast, um, Johnny Depp, Brandon Lee, and Will Smith were all front runners for Neo. 
Uh, I thought, God, Brandon Lee would have been a good one, wouldn't he? Um, yeah. And, I, and then sadly, he died before this film was even cast, so that would not have happened. But he was in content. He was in the running for it. Uh, Will Smith didn't understand the concept, apparently. Uh, yeah. Apparently, the pitch that the Wachowskis gave to um, to Will Smith was just focused on fight scenes and camera movement, and he didn't really understand what the story of the film was, so he passed. Uh, he did a little film, James, that was really big that year. You might have heard of it. It's called uh, Wild Wild West. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I I think that a film, a Wild West film about a giant robotic spider, uh, yeah. makes so much more sense than a film about Matrix and computers and such. Yeah, yeah I can see where he went with that one yeah. I'm, I'm i'm really glad he made that move carry on moss obviously is trinity she's fantastic in this film um yeah. cypher uh joe pantalonio and Lawrence fishburne plays morpheus uh, this was an interesting character that i didn't know anything about until i read more about the making of the film and i'm sure you probably come across it as well um belinda mccrory who played um switch the character switch with the blonde hair um, yeah, there's like obviously Switch, um, Mouse, Cipher, um, um, what was the other one? Apoc. They're all kind of <laughs> I don't know, like C-list characters in the movie that get that get off pretty quickly uh, yeah. towards the end of the movie. But they um, they are the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar, and Switch was a character that was developed by the Wachowskis. That when in the real world is a man, and when jacked into the Matrix, Switch is a woman. Which is why ah. she's called Switch because she switches when she goes into yeah. the Matrix. I was like, that is fucking cool. And again, when we talked about things like gender and identity and this whole um, residual image that they said the Matrix is when you're in your mind, I was like, oh, that's such a wonderful idea, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh yeah, Switch is a man, but actually, when Switch is in a, in in their mind, Switch feels that they're a woman. So when they jack into the Matrix, they can be a woman. I was like, oh yeah, brilliant. So I'm yeah. really sad that that didn't happen, but they did. Yeah. They did deliberately do the wardrobe and the hair differently to try and make Switch a bit androgynous, which I thought was quite clever. That is cool. Um, that Hugh, is a clever. Hugo idea. Weaving. I mean, my God, he's good in this movie. <laughs> oh, um, mean, no! Nobody can say Mr. Anderson without doing <laughs> yeah. a Hugo Weaving impression. It, it's it's yeah. it's brilliant. It's I. It's such an iconic role. Hmm. I just don't really, I can't believe that he could be so intense. He hasn't even got that much screen time in the movie, um, no. by and large. Morpheus and Neo and Trinity have a lot more screen time than, than Agent Smith and Hugo Weaving. But he is uh, enigmatic and fascinating to watch. The interrogation scene is so intense and he's so good at it. Um, yeah. There's a line in this where this is the first interrogation with Neo when he's in the office, which my best friend Mark can't watch without laughing. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a thing that harks back to watching these films as teenagers. My mate Mark cannot get past this line no matter what. And it, the line is, you help your landlady carry out her garbage <laughs> and it's because of the way that weaving delivers this line i think just oh, makes it really special it's um, so good <laughs> the character development though for neo at the beginning is a bit dull um uh, and that's one of the few negative things about this movie the 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 love story between Tr trinity and neo i don't really buy that uh, apart from the fact that Trinity reveals that the Oracle had told her she'd fall in love with the man and he will be the one. You're like, okay, well, that, that's not really a reason to fall in love with somebody, but fair enough. Um, yeah. The, oh, what was I going to show you? Oh, where is it now? 
this is me looking through my notes like an idiot there's there's a line uh here it is yeah there's a line uh that is the closest that we get to developing neo's character um pre pre neo when he is uh, mr anderson um, yeah he points at a restaurant out of a window and goes i used to eat there <laughs> <laughs> i do like that bit i really like wait. that line yeah, I used to eat that. Well, look, fucking hell, yeah. Neo, I lived through 2020. I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the office scene's really good. Um, yeah, we've talked about those characters. I like the betrayal and Cypher and the setup of that. Um, yeah. The green, James. Everything's green. <laughs> Every, everything's green. Everything's green. And um, there's very little blue. Mm, well, they said that they deliberately switched it up so that when you're in the Matrix world... There's a green tint on every shot. Um, yeah. Largely, I think in the second and third one, this gets lesser and lesser. It doesn't seem as in your face as the first one. So they definitely toned it down a bit. Um, yeah. And then when you're in the real world, it's much more dreary and dark blue. And there's lots of blues and cold colors to symbolize the, the cold starkness of the world that they're in. So I like yeah. that concept as well. Uh, like you said, there is definitely a cinematic tint in terms of when they are in the matrix, the um, the the cinematography is grainy compared yeah. to the real world, where it's much more high def. Um, it's it is a, such a clever idea to, to make great. those really visual <laughs> distinctions. And uh, I, I mean, some of the references, you know, the green, obviously, um, early sort of CRT monitors, all the text was always green. Mm. Uh, maybe people now won't understand that, but that, yeah. that obviously was from that, you know. The experience of the day, historically, before full-color monitors, they were often black and green. This is funny, though, isn't it? Because the Matrix came out in 99, and we'd got color monitors when I was alive in 1999. Um, This idea that everything pre the year 2000 was fucking neon green. (laughs) It's not technically true, because that's kind of more... For me, it, it harks back to things like war games in the 80s. Yeah. Um, that neon green lettering on the screen. Um, it's much older than me, and it's probably a bit older than you, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's like yeah. late 70s, early 80s. Um, yeah, the, the, these sort of references, I, I think that's what helps the film stand up today, because it isn't set... It's not really 1999. No, it's just what it's the computers think is 1999. Yeah, because <laughs> they've still got, like... Um, the, they've still got sort of phones with big dials on them, Rather than, you know, digital numbers, a lot of the phones that they pick up that are ringing are the old dial tone phones where, you, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd spin around a dial once and then go back again. Yeah. So they've got, they've got old references like that, but then they've got relatively modern mobile phones as well. So it's not really any particular time, but it's sort of 80s, 90s-ish. Yeah, and and that's that's the matrix, and that's where all these human batteries live out their 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 meaningless lives, as um, Agent Smith would call it. Uh, yeah, but it's it's not a particular time, so it doesn't even watching it now, it doesn't feel dated. The phones that flip out still look cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, I like even them a now. Lot. <laughs> the um, bu- um, we're going to talk about bullet time, which was the camera. Uh, I thought you'd like this because it's more your your alley in terms of the things that you're interested in, the things that you always teach me about. I didn't really know what the concept was, and it had been used before in commercials and in other yeah. short film productions and music videos, I believe. But this is where you essentially do a ring of cameras around an individual or individuals, 
these cameras then all take an image in a simultaneous fashion so that then when you blend them, you can move around a subject in like 180 or 360. And presumably it looks like the the um, the individuals are suspended in midair when they're not. It's just a photo from different angles at the same time. Yeah. This has been ripped off so much since The Matrix, as we know. But, oh gosh! But for the time, yeah, this is in... yeah for the, for the for the nineties, this was a really innovative way of capturing the. Essentially, it's the movement, isn't it? The fact that when Trinity jumps up into the air at the beginning, she's kind of suspended in midair while she does the kick to symbolise yeah. that the Matrix is kind of loading to catch up. I guess it's one of those kind of yeah, concepts. Yeah, it it's sort of explaining that there, there's uh, <coughs> even for the characters that aren't the one there's a certain amount of manipulation they can get away with because mm. it's not it's not a real place so there's a certain amount of pushing and pulling of time that all the characters get to do and yeah it's it's the actual execution of that in this film is genius it's very very simple in in concept like you say it's a, a basically the opposite of a 360 degree degree camera it's many, many cameras all pointing at one place um, in a circle. Whereas when you get like a three, like um, people have probably seen it on Google Street View, mm. where you, you get uh, many, many cameras in a central place pointing outwards that all get stitched together so you can look around in a virtual space. Yeah, that's a this good, that's a good, of, yeah, a good analogy, actually. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of the opposite of that, where it's many, many cameras all on the out, outer edge pointing in. And uh, they, it was groundbreaking for cinema but like you say i think was it a gap advert I'd used it mm. previously um Jeans. so yeah so there's there's definite examples of similar things and then after this film came out near enough everybody <laughs> wanted to do slow motion uh, to the point where and i forget the name because it's a very forgettable film but there's a steven seagal film where you can tell that the people making the film had just seen The Matrix, but hadn't shot any of their film in a high enough frame rate, but still decided to slow it down anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was it was very influential. There were a lot of people yeah. doing doing things like that. It made it into uh, games. Those games like a game called Max Payne that started doing bullet time at around the same time as The Matrix. Uh, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a, a, a genius effect because it's. It helps sort of focus in on really small details that you wouldn't normally see. That and uh, that I think that sort of effect is carried forward in other things that aren't bullet time shots. Like there's a a, a shot towards the end where uh, Neo effectively flicks Agent Smith's throat <laughs> in a fight. And they, they spend a lot of time to focus in on that sort of little yeah. flick that he does. And I think that that wouldn't have happened had this film not been so obsessed with, like, little details of fights. And, and bullet time helps them focus in on that, which is really cool. The fight sequences are so well choreographed as well, like the, the level of kung fu and, and martial arts in this movie. And they all did it, like you say, a lot of that was Keanu doing the work. Yeah. Um, and there was wire stunts. It's all in camera. It's all practical. But it feels practical, and I think that, again, is something that we're missing. I, I actually put in my notes, this was a Christopher Nolan film before Christopher Nolan films were a thing. 
<laughs> yeah. So it kind of had a great story, but everything in it, it was like a little brush stroke of innovation on it, which Nolan's films are famous for now, aren't they? Where it's like every movie he makes has got like a brush stroke of genius to it, where they yeah. they do something with the way the water flows, they do something with the way a van falls off a cliff, or the way a set is built to rotate upside down instead of the actor looking like the actor's going onto the roof. Like these are things that they were doing in films like The Matrix, but we just don't do this enough in movies now because CGI's become so cheap and available. Um, why bother shooting Keanu doing this? And and we'll yeah. talk and we'll talk about this as we get towards the oh god, the fourth Matrix film. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Um yeah. yeah, I think I think it is it is key that that there was so much practical done in this yeah. film and um a, a lot of it's obviously down to to budget constraints because obviously it, you know it was a a bigger budget film but it wasn't a massive budget at the time from you know compared to what where we are now with films. Mm-hmm. Um but where we are now like you say the 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 feeling seems to be oh it'll be cheaper to do it in VFX we'll just do this in do CGI in yeah and it will sort it out and yet we still have films that are coming out with nearly three hundred billion dollar budgets that's a good point yeah and and you think you know they a good really really recent example is the new uh, Godzilla minus one a film I've not yet seen but from everything I've heard mm-hmm. makes every penny of its budget count yeah. And and it just feels like a lot of Hollywood films have forgotten that, and and this film going back to watch the Matrix again, it, it's sort of Hollywood used to do this. They used to take risks, yeah. spend a smaller amount so they could afford to take the risk, and we got great films like the Matrix. And it just feels like we we've not had something like that for a long time. Yeah, people that aren't or people that were born after this film certainly will have missed, in a way, living through the age of cinema that we got to live through. And this was what they said about, you know, the golden era of the 20s for cinema in the 30s. Then you had the big movies like, you know, Ben-Hur and Lawrence of Arabia in the 60s. And then cinema kind of went dull for a bit. And then Star Wars and The Godfather started it all back up again at the end of the 70s and the early 80s. And then from there, I felt like... After Return of the Jedi and Jurassic Park and E.T. and Back to the Future, we end up sort of back down towards the end of the 90s with films like Jumanji. I mean, the last few big movies that came out, like you say, big concepts with big budgets, but they were really interesting films. Even yeah. And even go as far as to throw films like Casper and Small Soldiers in there, who are purely throwaway kids' movies. But you watch them now, and they are better than most kids' movies that have been made in the last 20 years. Yeah, And they were all made pre-2000. And then after The Matrix and after, you know, I think, I guess Spider-Man 1 and X-Men, they were big movies, weren't they, at the beginning of the early noise. But from that, from the sort of Star Wars prequels and the Spider-Man comic book films genre, that sort of kicked off. And like you said, I think Hollywood's done with the superhero genre now because it's just done it to death. But we... We haven't had anything innovative. That that it felt almost like ninety nine two thousand was the last year of great cinema. When then for mainstream cinema anyway, not not um, art house. But yeah, after that it's just kind of gone off a cliff. And I think, I mean, Nolan has said a big contributor to this is that uh, people don't go to the cinema, so everything's tailored for the home viewing experience, which is an entirely different yeah. experience to the cinema, uh, which I would agree with. But I. I think that, like you said, the risks taken and the film's concepts and everything in this film just works. 
And that is a very rare thing for anything nowadays. When I've been to see a film, I go, well, that bit was good and that bit was great, but this bit wasn't so good. Um, I think you and I have talked about this on the podcast before where we say a really good, big, solid Hollywood movie should have something in it that you have never seen with your own human eyes before. Um, And I think Nick Jones, our friend, said about, um, he said, no matter whether you love or hate things like Mad Max Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road has at least seven things in it that I've never seen in a physical movie before. Then you go, what the hell? How have they done that? How is that a thing? Um, and and I like that. that. There's a certain level of excitement. And I don't need Definitely. The Matrix to be too intelligent. I am happy for it to be a popcorn flick. I know the concept is kind of ludicrous and it's set in a false future, but it's yeah. okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, we, we are people who love films that say it's possible to bring dinosaurs back. Yeah. We, lo- we, love, we love films set in galaxies far, far away as long yeah. as they're not filmed after the 80s. We love... <laughs> just <laughs> a disclaimer on the prequels <laughs> but you know that there, there's a number of ludicrous films that you and i both really enjoy yeah and for me this this the matrix the first matrix because the, the other thing i'm going to let the listeners in on is <laughs> for a long time i denied the existence of any of the sequels i know you did um but i'm I, you know i'm going to you know renege on that a little bit just so we can cover them in the podcast um but the Matrix for me was, so, some people said it was their Star Wars. For me, it was my Predator. Because mm. the number of people that went into the Predator not knowing what it was, not knowing that it was about aliens, they, you know, they thought it was going to be uh, a Vietnam-type uh, sort of commentary uh, war film type of thing. And then it, they introduced an alien. And it, the aliens brought in quite early on, much like the concept of, mm. of the, uh, the Matrix here. So for me, this feels like my version of... of Predator, because I wasn't aware when I first went into it what it was. Yeah, and and I've probably rewatched it nearly as many times as Predator as well. So yeah, for me this is this is um, it's a touchstone point in cinema, and I I I can't fault many things on it at all. And the things that are of any question are usually down to limitations of tech at the time. Yeah, that's it. Um, the, the the main thing that probably doesn't hold up as quite as well as everything else, ironically, is when they're in the real world and the squid type robot monster type things don't look all that good. The Sentinels, it, yeah, the Sentinels. Another thing that's been ripped off from an X Men comic book. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and they they don't they they probably don't hold up as well as everything else in the film. But even that is totally and utterly forgivable when you consider. Everything they were able to pull off. My missus, my missus said film. she still thinks they're terrifying. She thinks that if they like came down from space and was roaming about, they are truly some of the most terrifying robots she thinks have been in movies, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. I never thought about it like that. She's like Terminator, not don't scare me at all. Uh, she's like RoboCop, not bothered. She's like that idea of a robot yeah. with all those tentacles is quite scary. And I was like, okay, that's that's interesting. I never, yeah, and I guess they are quite freaky when you look at them. They sort of float around yeah. like squids, but they're not in the water because they're just roaming the tunnels of Earth. <laughs> um, I really liked the whole bit where I guess it's that thing what we're trying to do, and we'll talk about it in the second one that they justify things that happen in our world by things that are happening within the Matrix. And a great example of that is Deja Vu when the cat walks past Neo and meows yeah. and flaps. And then when he looks back, it meows and flaps again. And he's like, oh, that's just happened. 
and then I go, what? And and they and he's like, why are you all freaking out? It's just a bit of deja vu. And like deja vu only happens when the matrix has been messed with. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, that's how we experience deja vu. It's where the machines have gone in and edited it. Um, and I thought that was such a great, stupid little throwaway concept, but it works so well in the context of its movie. And this is what me and you talk about, where it's like a movie that understands its genre and understands its concept so well that it does throwaway things like that that just work really cleverly. Yeah, um, and I think in Matrix Revolutions, there's a bit where the cat walks across a sidewalk that's covered in rubble, and it meows, and then it just gets edited, and you just see the green writing going over it, and then it just kind of walks past again. You're like, oh, it's them actually doing it. The machines editing the Matrix, cleaning it up. Yeah, um, oh, I it, just love. It, I love those little bits. I think they make it so special. Yeah, it's clever little details like that that are. A, a, a brilliant they I, I like the fact that the the agents aren't really anyone in particular no they, they can, can be, be anybody any, yeah they can be anybody and uh the the bits uh in the subway where the homeless person sees something weird happening yeah all of a sudden the agents are aware of that so they're they're tapped into everybody yeah and then the when he looks at them go down the phone line the little writing starts coming down the face of the homeless man and then he yeah turns into agent smith and again, you don't see that happen until later in the movie because you don't, they don't want to give away the plot that the agents aren't real. They're just drones, essentially. They're just the machines looking, aren't they? Yeah. Um, they are literally the machines that are running the Matrix on the inside, going around, making sure everything is as it should be. So when someone hacks into the Matrix by being jacked in, as they call it, with the with the with the uh, or AUX plug, like, yeah, which again is a concept that kids won't be familiar with, um, and then they enter the Matrix, but the agents are alerted to something that shouldn't be in the Matrix, so that's why they go after them, uh, almost like antibodies, isn't it? Like attacking a yeah. virus. But like you say, it's so downplayed throughout the film because mm. they've all got earwigs in, haven't they? They've, yeah. they've all like FBI agents. So yeah. for the longest time in the film, you could just imagine someone speaking to them down mm. down the little earwig. You know, they're not. It, it 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 then becomes apparent that they're just receiving new information from the Matrix. Yeah, it's but so it clever. It, it's 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 brilliantly done it's brilliantly done i don't like the interrogation bit where morpheus is sweating james <laughs> there, there's a, a lot of sweat and there's too much sweat no one I, sweats I, that much i thought I, I, he was gonna melt like do you know the bad guy that melts in x-men on the table yeah i thought that was gonna happen to morpheus <laughs> and hugo is far too into it in that yeah. scene, he's far too into the sweatiness of it all. It's when he like he's... licks the like he gets the he doesn't lick. That's a terrible thing. He doesn't lick him. <laughs> Let me just say that when, <laughs> when he gets when he sort of rubs the sweat off of Morpheus's head yeah. and then goes, um, "I feel like I've been infected by your stench." And you're like, "It's so <laughs> intense, but it's also so ridiculous." That was kind of like, "Oh, I don't like this. This is a bit no. weird." And and it's it. That seriousness is almost immediately obliterated mm. when Keanu drops in with his minigun that seems to be able to shoot yeah. up the entire place but miss Morpheus completely. I said this, yeah, how does he miss Morpheus despite shooting everything? Because the whole room is just <laughs> obliterated by bullets. And it's, yeah. like, it's like Keanu hasn't heard of a ricochet. Like, that does happen. <laughs> um, uh, lots of guns I've put at this scene. Scene with guns, lots of guns. So they go into like a program, which I think uh, Tank or somebody says at the beginning, uh, this is a loading program. They stick a cartridge in 
and then they tap a few buttons on the keypad and then they're inside a white walled room that just appears yeah. with things, which again is like, um, I guess it's like the loading menu for a video game well, before you I, get all I your technology. Know. I don't know if this is going to date me, but do you remember mm. like things like the game genies? I, were, I'm think I was thinking more of like Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> oh right, well the, the game desk. genies. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm gonna, uh, sort of relive some '90s sort of nostalgia here. So um, back in the days of sort of Super Nintendo and and Sega Mega Drive, um, there there were cheats in games, but there are also companies that made these things called game genies, and they were cartridges that would sit in between your console and your cartridge. And they would then be able to sort of hack into the cartridge and, and add things and give no you way. infinite life. And yeah, so they, they were sort of tiny little things that were just, they might, you know, enable some sort of developer mode or something like that that would give you all, all the access to all the guns. And, a bit like when uh, you can spawn a tank in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like the precursor to all of those cheats yeah. that you do. So yeah, they're they often called. I think the company was called Game Genie. And they, in my notes, I've put down that this is like the Game Genie scene. Mm. They basically get get to choose a, a massive loadout of weaponry. Yeah, and uh, it, the the moment when the racks of weapons fly in around them is another moment that's sort of parodied and copied in so many other yeah, films. It is, yeah. Um, it, but it's so it's still cool. I think that's the the testament of something that's genuinely cool is it can be parodied to death, and the original is still cool. I agree. I totally agree. I yeah. I don't feel like I, again. I feel like that you said about the fact that it's not dated to the point where we're told it's the nineteen nineties inside the Matrix, but the way it's done, it's got so many nuanced bits and things and, and it's got the old-fashioned phones and some of the things don't really make sense. Some of the cars are all 80s cars. So it kind of it kind of becomes timeless when you're in the Matrix because it's set at parameters of whatever the computers have programmed it to look like. So immediately yeah. you're like, oh, if I was there, that's just the Matrix. It's because the cars and everything are programmed by a computer. Fine. And that, in a way, gives you the freedom to make sure that the movie can't be dated because it isn't, it doesn't have a date that's set somewhere in the way off future where the machines have inherited the Earth. So when you go to like Zion in the second one and you see all the tunnels and all the ships and all the hovercrafts, that's futuristic in terms of the yeah. um, post-apocalyptic future that we're taught in the, in the film. But the rest of it, you're like, as long as it's got a green tint on it and people are in leather, we'll buy that as the Matrix, which in yeah. a way makes it almost timeless, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the Matrix is just a thing, and it's not a particular time. It's wicked. It's, it's, it's so cleverly done. Hang on. I've had to turn a light on because my room has just gone dark whilst recording this podcast, <laughs> and I just sat in the dark with a microphone like some sort of serial killer. Um, oh. uh, okay. I was going to say... Oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, um, Neo, at the end of the movie... Um, after everything happens, Neo is murdered by Smith, and then, yeah. like Christ, he comes back because he gets kissed by Trinity, which is all you need when you die. You just have I mean, to get kissed, and then you come back. You say like Christ, <laughs> it's more it's more Snow White, isn't it? Well, it is a bit more Snow White, actually, yeah. Or Cinderella yeah. or Sleeping Beauty. He comes yeah. back, and then immediately when he wakes up, he can see the Matrix for its code. He doesn't need to see the green-tinted world we see anymore. Yeah, he can literally see how it's written, 
So then when Smith comes up to him, there's that amazing scene where Smith is throwing all these punches and Neo's hand is just blocking them all one by one. He's like, oh, I don't even need to fight this guy anymore. Uh, yeah. And then he kills Smith uh, by going inside Smith and blowing him up, which is pretty cool. It, it's such a cool scene because he, he, he stops bullets midair and that sort of throwback yeah. to, uh, Mor- you know, he asks Morpheus if he'll be able to dodge bullets and Morpheus says something to the effect that when you understand the Matrix, you won't have to. Yeah. Uh, so he just stops the bullets and and then the other agents that aren't Agent Smith sort of run away. Yeah, after I like they that see, <laughs> After they see um, Neo basically burst open Agent Smith. Um, and uh, yeah, it's that that last scene where he's sort of telling the Matrix what he's going to do and then he flies away. I thought was, you've got Rage Against the Machine in the background as well. Mm. Um that, that's something else we've not really covered. The soundtrack to this film is wicked. Oh, it is. I really like the opening soundtrack to all of the films. Um, yeah. I like the way it kind of, it's like a synthetic jingly sound that announces the Warner Brothers logo. And then it's followed by the text going down the screen, the green text. It's just so iconic. Like you say, there hasn't really been anything that iconic since Star Wars. Since it was yeah. the 20th Century Fox logo, then a long time ago, and a guy is far, far away, and then bang, a big yellow Star Wars logo. And I felt like Matrix has that same wham to it, where as soon as I hear that noise and see that green-tinted intro titles, I'm immediately like, I don't know, there's a certain sense of excitement. And I don't know yeah. whether that's because I lived it when it first came out, and it was so exciting when it first came out, and, and the sequels, I went to see them all at the cinema. Yeah. But I don't know whether that's because of my age and my love of like cinema. nostalgia. Yeah, or whether that Maybe. is generally how a lot of people feel when they watch it. They go, oh, this is such a cool intro. It sort of tingles down the spine when it comes on. I, um, I think it's fairly universal. And the reason I think that, Warner Brothers tried to do it with every single franchise after that. They, you know, you get a similar thing with Harry Potter. Yeah, you do, actually. You get, that's a good point. You, you get a similar thing with the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. So I think Warner Brothers saw how effective that was. That you know, the 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 first thing you feel about the movie is the sound. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and the, the, there's the, the these brilliant sort of orchestral movements where one bit of the orchestra will play a chord and then you'll get a slight echo from the other orche- other higher pitched sort of instruments. It's very very clever. Did you notice very the cool. sound foley when um, Neo touches the mirror before he's uh, sort of inducted into his body. Yeah. Uh, so they have to like wire Neo up, don't they, to the phone line. And then they're like, don't worry, in a few minutes, we'll get your pill. We'll figure out where your body is in the robot world. And then we basically download your consciousness out of the Matrix into the little naked body of Neo who's in a pod somewhere. Yeah. Which, again, when I first watched this movie, it sort of blew my mind that that was all happening. But yeah. then when you understand how networks work, it makes more sense. And then they sent that. So and then Neo touches the mirror and then the mirror starts to like go up his arm and up his, uh, up his chest. And then when the mirror finally goes into his mouth and he sort of screams, his scream turns into the, like the dial-up tone, which I yes. really like. And again, yes, it, does. it kind of makes me nostalgic for hearing those noises when I was young, which you just don't hear that yeah. anymore. That's not a thing. It's, someone it's go, oh, what's that robotic sound? It's like, that's the fucking dial-up noise. <laughs> That's when he's he's being dialed up. That, that's what we were all deafened by when our sisters were on the internet when we needed to make a call. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's so funny. It's so t- that that sort of thing 
is very time bound, isn't it? But that and doesn't seem like that long ago in my head. Do you know what I mean? Like going on yeah. the internet and pressing the thing and it going. That doesn't seem that long ago. That seems like a couple of years ago. But the fact yeah. that we didn't, we haven't needed to do that for over a quarter of a century at least is kind of strange. And then, it's like you say, bonkers, you it? and me work with loads of people in our job that were born after this. So they don't even have any context for the dial-up tone or any of those noises. So I, I just think it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, it's the same like you say with the analog phone. With the, you have to press nine and then let it go back, then O and then let it go back, and then one, let it go back. And they're like, why'd you let it go back? I'm like, because that's how fucking phones work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was how phones worked for years before we changed them. And they're like, well, what, what, what's a landline? Like, what do you mean what's a landline? <laughs> it's the, yeah. the one that you have in your house. Oh, what, like the big button phone my nan has? Oh. <laughs> oh yes. Well, I, I've I've received Christmas cards from people this year that have just that they've, they've publicly announced that they're going landline less. They're they're getting rid of their landline. I love that think, people have sent you that on a Christmas card. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so nice. I'm so pleased for you. Normally with these sort of Christmas cards, you get an update on what family life's been like. But no, <laughs> yeah. this year we're getting rid of the landline. I, we need to let everybody know. I like the idea that you usually get like a tenor from your great aunt, but this year you're getting a thing that says I've gone contactless this year. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I'm not. I'm not doing cards this year. I've bought crypto. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing cards this year. I've donated one pound to the um, uh, Salvation Army using the QR code <laughs> that was on my screen. Oh, good. Uh, I, I so, do... but uh, honestly, uh, and I'm going to put this out there as a as a thirty something year old like you. The world is fucking dull <laughs> compared to what it was 20 years ago. <laughs> I yeah, that's the thing isn't it? Like the the matrix seems quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for being jacked up. I don't mind being a bachelor. No, James, jacked up means you're on heroin. <laughs> you mean jacked in. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> don't, I, to be say, fair, don't go into the street and tell someone you want to get jacked up. <laughs> to be fair, either either. <laughs> What's happened to James? He's on heroin. Why? <laughs> he wanted to go into the Matrix. <laughs> this is so stupid. This is where we get to in our podcast after 40 minutes. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I think we did have originally, we, we don't script these, but we did have a, like a, a bare bones outline of a plan. And I think I took us off that plan about half an hour ago. <laughs> it's always um, the same. <laughs> Uh, but ironically, we've covered quite a bit of it. I'm just looking at it now. We looked yeah. at you know concept production. We've talked about the story, characters, yeah. action, cultural impact. Yeah, I think Jake, we might be ready for five facts. Let's do it. Uh, I've got some facts. I might not have... I think I've got five. I'm just going to go for it and we'll see. I'm sure you've got some, if not. Um, Jake will just tell everybody there was five. I did. No one can <laughs> yeah, tell us otherwise. No one can tell us otherwise. This was a bit that I read about. And when I read it, I kind of... It blew my mind because I didn't realise that this... How stupid the concept of the movie... The, the Matrix itself is designed to keep us 
uh, dormant, isn't it, and happy, while yes. we provide energy for the machines to run their empire. Um, yeah. This is... This, in the original concept for The Matrix, in the original script, this is not batteries. We are literally a neural network. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, just Google Matrix Neural Network, because it's much easier to read it than it is for me to try and explain it. But essentially, we are like a... uh, How would you describe it, James? Like a network of brains. All of us are providing energy by the fact they're all interconnected to each other. And the Matrix is essentially the thread running through us all that keeps us all interconnected. And that powers the machines. Um, It's got nothing to do with body heat, because if it did... We wouldn't need a matrix. All they'd need to do is keep us asleep, and we would just dream. And we'd be happy in our little pods asleep, and they'd just keep us drugged up, and we would provide body heat anyway. Um, so there is no need for a matrix. Yeah. So yeah. So new, the the idea of the the neural network and uh, it sort of links to a, a a guy called Ray Kurzweil mm-hmm. who came up with this idea of the singularity. You know, eventually computers will be able to store the entire consciousness consciousness of a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're sort of getting close to that. You know, these days sci- scientists have worked out that if we can uh, utilize DNA to store data, we'll be able to store. You know. M- thousands and thousands of terabytes in a tiny little space so that's kind of like the the expectation of the matrix i guess in that neural network we're all storing a bit of the matrix and we're all part of that um yeah yeah so like you say batteries is a a massively overly simplified thing but it's that it's interesting like you say they they had to come up with a way of the matrix keeping people Mm entertained apparently they just apparently the studio execs said it was too complicated for normal people to understand um so apparently the original story the brains of human beings are used as a part of a neural network that the machines run for computing power um this uh this was deemed a concept that was too hard for people to understand um so the execs insisted upon making the idea that humans are kept in pods as batteries so that machines can use their energy uh, physical energy as opposed to neural energy so it kind of makes sense but i would have liked the idea of the neural network better um i think when you play into the i think it's the fourth matrix they talk literally about um the idea of a mind being powerful and bringing two minds together creates a certain amount of energy the same way yeah. that we interact with each other some people we're more drawn to than others and they talk about that in the fourth matrix film so i was like oh yeah that is that is the concept of the neural network how people are interconnected and how they feel and and um and want and need things in a certain way and the machines basically piggyback off the back of that that um energy but yeah um the second one i had was about sophia stewart james <clears throat> ooh Sophia Stewart is a woman, you can Google her, she is an author, and she wrote a book called The Third Eye. Um, The Third Eye shared many similarities in concept to the Matrix and Terminator franchise. Um, She said that she sent the script off to many people over the years trying to get a commission for it, and it was sent into a, uh, apparently, a script um, search, like a broad screen search that the Wachowskis were running through a magazine article to try and get people to send in their ideas to be made into films. And apparently she sent this through to Warner, who gave it to the Wachowskis, who 
um, took it apart, disseminated it and made it into the Matrix and then repackaged it as a new film and sold it as their own concept. She has then tried to sue Warner and sue Joel Silver. Mm. I think she's tried to sue the Wachowskis as well um, for basically ripping off her idea. But you can read the story online. It's interesting. Apparently, a lot of it has been thrown out because it's all circumstantial. Yeah. And like you said before, I can make the same. I can have all the ingredients that Gordon Ramsay has got. It doesn't mean I'm making a Michelin star meal. So no. that's kind of where it got thrown out. There was also a yeah. comic book called The Invisibles. Um, it was written by a guy who works for DC. And he had apparently claimed that if you read The Invisibles comic, it's been heavily ripped off by the Matrix art department and those ideas have been plagiarised and used directly in the film The Matrix. Uh, apparently the main character in Invisibles looks very, very similar to Morpheus. Um, right. <clears throat> but they said again, um, there's, there's discrepancies between who did what, where, why and when. The fact that they used the comic as inspiration, I don't think think directly means that they stole the idea because they renamed it and repackaged it so it's clever yeah it's it's so difficult and tricky for for like to find the origin of an yeah. idea it's nearly impossible I, I obviously had recently ed sheeran uh fighting a court case over uh a chord progression yeah because it was a, a, a chord progression that's quite commonly used and it's very similar to a number of songs and you know, there are only 12 notes in a Western scale. There are only 12 <laughs> notes. So you're bound to have some overlap. Yeah. And obviously the, there are, there are a, a number of types of stories. I, I, I do distinctly remember, and I can't remember the, um, the exact process of this, but basically uh, a university lecturer once told me that all stories can be distilled down to Cinderella. Eventually, um, it's not so, that yeah, whole got, thing about um, every conversation. If it starts to turn sour, will eventually lead on to Hitler. <laughs> yes, yeah. So there, there are sort of these these gravitational pulls yeah. for ideas yeah. that that are, are uniquely human. I guess is the is the best way to put it. And uh, you know, mo- um, I think uh, it was a conversation I had with our colleague Dan. Uh, the other day, uh, Dan was blown away that so many cultures in the world all came up with dragons independently. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, the Chinese and the Norse and everything, and even the British, yeah. we all have our own, and the Celts, we have our own version of the same mythical creature. Yeah. Yeah, So it's weird. It, it's, same with the pyramid, though. Loads of pyramids that were built by different cultures who shared no similarity. So the Mesoamericans and the Egyptians and the Mayans, yeah. they all built different forms of a pyramid. It's almost like it was a computer program. Or it was aliens. Gone wrong. Or it was aliens. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, I, I think that because I, I like you, I read a lot of the, the 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 intricacies of how original the Matrix may or may not be, and I, ultimately, I, as a package deal, mm. it's pretty unique. Yeah, the, the, there are things that it borrows from, but nothing has everything that the matrix has in it yeah it's like the difference between the dark knight trilogy and the new matt reeves batman it was made very very close to each other so there are going to be things where they cross over because you're essentially doing the same character with the same characters around him fighting another character who we may have used before in another film so they're always going to be like I I thought that it was really interesting to see a film like that that felt more original despite the content being so overused. Um, So with this, it's like, yeah, the the concept is really good and the story's original, but 
yeah, the ideas are recycled. Sure, why not? Like, there's loads of ideas that are recycled, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be repackaged and repurposed into a really decent script and with a decent story. Um, my other fact, going back off of the again, if you want to talk about the fact that Matrix has had so many people throw in a punch and say, you stole my idea. There are so many ideas, like you say, online you can read about. Oh, yeah. Um, number three is a really small but cool fact that I read that I didn't realise, and I went back to check it when we were watching the other films. Um, mm. Neo uses guns in Matrix 1. He uses a lot of guns. Yeah. After Neo is shot and comes back from the dead, he never uses another gun for the rest of the franchise. Oh. Yeah. Because yeah. he doesn't need to anymore. He's gone past no. guns. Yeah. And I was like, he, does he not? Surely he must. And you're like, no, he literally never uses a gun ever in any of the other films. Right. Apart from the electricity gun when he's outside the Matrix. Yeah. I think he uses that at one point. But um, but yeah, nothing else. And it's just fascinating. Um, what else have I got? Me? Morpheus sweats a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this was one that I wanted to ask you about. Actually. I didn't know what it meant or whether it was a humorous thing, but there's a bit where Cypher's eating steak with um, Smith. And yeah. he's planning the betrayal, which I thought was a really cool scene. And he says, um, I want to be someone bigger. I want to be someone really important when I get put back in the Matrix. And he's like, like what? And he goes, I don't know, like, uh, like an actor. And then Smith goes, whatever you would like, Mr. Reagan. And I go, <laughs> is that a joke? Is that like a Ronald Reagan joke? I, I don't know. I, well, I, and I, I Googled it and I can't find anything about it. Well, um... I guess Reagan was an actor turned president. That's what I so mean. Maybe, Reagan was important, wasn't he? But he was an actor yeah. first before he became president. Yeah, so maybe it was it that was it was a reference to that. I do like that um but Reagan wasn't president and he was president in the eighties, wasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. No, he he you know he would have been a He'd a, have been a and long, gone by then. Yeah, a long distant cultural reference point. Yeah. But yeah. I guess as a, a celebrity turned president probably made sense to use Reagan as a reference. Yeah. Um, the, the steak bit, though, I did like at the, the, at the end of the credits, it gives you a link to a website that no longer exists. Oh, really? Uh, called whatisthematrix.com. Oh, and yeah. Apparently yeah, yeah. There, there was a link that needed a password, and the password was steak. <laughs> oh, that's clever. <laughs> so I thought that was quite a nice little tie-in thing yeah. that they did they they did uh they did a really cool but obviously the, the tie-ins and the intricate plot yeah sort of crossovers got much more detailed as the uh, as the um yeah we'll talk uh, about that we'll, we'll talk about yeah, that in the we'll next episode because i yeah. again we've talked about the idea that you run an advertising campaign alongside a film but back in the day like me and you were saying about the early noughties a lot of the ad campaigns had their own website or they were street yeah. vendors or they were people on the tube in London, or there were there were loads of things you could like go on scavenger hunts and find. There were Easter eggs yeah. within the general population. Uh, what yeah, is the Matrix? Have... Yeah, it was just like a screen with green writing on it that you had to then find the password to get into it, and then people would share it online in forums. But because of the advent of social media, that's kind of gone out the window because social media does all yeah. the marketing for you now. You don't need to market a film that heavily because you can just put it on social yeah. media and it'll just go viral anyway. Yeah, it's 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 a different landscape altogether. Before we um, finish this episode, though, really quick, I wanted to yeah. say, do you know, with regards to spoilers and um and sharing and content and and how they try and again, Marvel franchise is a really good example of this, where everything is leaked, so nothing is a yeah. surprise ever. 
you showed me a picture of Kelsey Grammer from that recent film that Marvels, and you're like, oh, okay, so that's leaked. Everything's leaked. Uh, this yeah. was pre the film airing in the cinema as well before it went out. Um, Ryan Reynolds has decided because he's so annoyed with the Deadpool and um, there's a Deadpool Wolverine picture that went around social media, yeah, leaking the fact that that Hugh Jackman was in a yellow uh, Wolverine costume like he was in the comics. And it went viral so quickly that now Ryan Reynolds is apparently just making pictures with him and different famous things. They're all <laughs> photoshopped and doctored, and they're just being leaked online. And they're great. <laughs> there's like one of him with Roger Rabbit, or there's like him and some famous old actor, and, and it's just Deadpool with different random famous people, and they're all being That's circulated brilliant. around the internet. So he's trying to make it so that you have no idea. I think there was one where it's like, Check out Deadpool 3. It's got the car from Knight Rider in it. And it's just the car <laughs> from Knight Rider and Deadpool in the same photo. Oh, oh that, Ryan great. Reynolds is is a gift yeah. uh, for, for everybody. I, I love that. I, I have got, because we, we made it to four facts. Do you want a fifth one just to yeah, sorry, yeah. sizz Hit out me. to the end? Sizz me a new fact. So we know that Warner Brothers in The Dark Knight, they, they made um, Chicago Gotham. Hmm. And and Chicago's been using quite a lot of films um, as different places. Yeah, the Matrix uses uh, real intersections from Chicago um, because, like Wells and Lake, because that's where the Wachowskis are from. It's our hometown. Ah. The subway train has signs for the Loop, which is another Chicago <coughs> reference. Yes, it is. And, yeah, and the film was obviously filmed in Sydney. <laughs> yes, yeah. so I saw that. So, I think this is the first time I've seen Chicago being filmed elsewhere and and not being Chicago. You know, normally it's somewhere it's Chicago being somewhere else, and now it's somewhere else being Chicago or yeah, a it's standing like for Chicago. Uh, so yeah, I like that. That was a cool little flip around because they did it the opposite way. The same, you know, ultimately the same production studio, Warner Brothers, did it the other way for Dark Knight. They they filmed in Chicago but claimed it was Gotham. That's funny. Yeah. But yeah, I, overall, a really good film. I know. I it's say. good, isn't it? Because I always find when we start a new franchise on this podcast that we we delight and revel in the first episode. And then by the time we get to, I mean, typically we do this with like Alien, we did it. But you get to like five <laughs> episodes in, you're like, good God, we're still on this. Oh, please, <laughs> please make it stop. Which is why I've uh, tried to hold back from a lot of things that I want to talk about in the next two episodes. Because yes. otherwise we'd have just used it all in this one. Um, yeah, love that. I think we will wrap that up in here uh, and then we'll continue on with uh, Matrix Reloaded, which will come out next week. Yeah. <clears throat> we need to squeeze a Christmas episode in soon as well. Let's get into that time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the big man is coming. I know. The big man, Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Still my favourite Christmas film. I know it is. Right, see you later, James. See you. Thank you, Bye. everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.